title this morning's message is great is your faithfulness the promise that we're going to look at today looks at the faithfulness of God but before we get to that promise I want you to think back for a moment ready some of your most memorable moments of your teenage years has to do with relationships so imagine for a second you're a teenager again just kind of close your eyes you're a teenager again Students, you guys are living this right now and you're making the memories right now, but some of those memories that you make you'll cherish, some you will regret, and some will just make you laugh as you think through them again. Some of you remember the first time you asked someone out or you were asked out. You remember your first date, your first kiss, the first time that you got rejected. And some of you remember your worst date. Most of you, if not all of you, will remember your first traumatic breakup. Y'all remember that for a second? That girl broke your heart. You were Daniel's son and Ali left you. If you don't watch Karate Kid, you won't know anything about that. You were rejected. You remember that first traumatic breakup, but, but not only do you remember that first traumatic breakup, you actually remember the song that went with it. You, you had a theme song to that first traumatic breakup, right? Y'all remember that? Somebody asked me to sing mine. Right. I can't live if living is without you. In the current situation that we're living in, we're all dealing with sadness. Children are having to learn virtually. Events, games, they've, they've been canceled. Our gatherings are modified now to provide for your health and safety. And several families that we love and that we cherish that are part of our church family have yet been able to meet with us. I just want to tell you who are watching, I miss you dearly. Even though it's necessary right now, I really don't like social distancing. The truth is you don't either. The promise that we're going to look at today is found in the middle of a sad song. In fact, one of the saddest in the entire Bible. This poem or song makes a part of this book in the Bible called the Book of Lamentations. Lamentations means the act of lamenting or expressing grief. Now, you know it's going to be some sort of sad song when that's the name of the book. If I were to take that, the name of this book and translate it into modern terms, this would be called the Book of Depressing. Depression. Yet in the middle of this sad song, we find one of God's greatest promises. Let me, let me just set the stage for you. The book of Lamentations focuses on the trauma experienced by the kingdom of Judah and its capital, Jerusalem. At the hands of a conquering king, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. In Bible times, cities were often conquered by siege warfare. The city would be surrounded and cut off from food and water. Thirst and starvation would decimate the population. And then once the enemy was weak and dying, the city was invaded. I just want to share this with you. Siege warfare is not something that is just used as far as tactics of physical warfare. Siege warfare is also a tactic that the enemy, Satan, uses in your life. When he can cut you off from spiritual food and water and from the people of God... He's got you weak enough to conquer you. The enemy came in. Babylonians came in. The king was killed. The temple was destroyed. 
When the kingdom of Judah fell, the temple and the palace were destroyed. They were set on fire, and the capital was burned to the ground. The leadership and much of the population was taken away as captives. If you ever heard this before, the story Daniel and the lion's den, you heard that story before? You heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three young men who refused to bow down to the king and worship the king and thrown into a fiery furnace? This is all happening. These are the young men that are traveling and being taken captive to Babylon. The book of Lamentations is written by the prophet Jeremiah. Jerusalem, his city, was in ruins. The temple that he had worshipped in was burned down. People were kidnapped and taken away. And it all happened because God's people had turned their back on him. They rejected God and they chose a life of sin. They knew what was right, but instead of doing what was right, they did wrong anyway. And here Jeremiah sat among the ruins and he wrote this long, sad, and painful song about the hurt that he and his people were experiencing. The first two chapters of Lamentations, it all sounds hopeless, like everything is wrong and nothing will ever be right again. That's kind of us, right? We go through these stages of grief. When we encounter a tragic moment, there's this stage in that grief process where we feel like nothing will ever be right again. I'm not going to be able to live anymore because I've undergone this. And slowly, little by little, and step by step, we realize that there's a little light at the end of the tunnel. That maybe we're going to limp a little bit through life because we're missing a piece that is cherished to us. But we'll get by. We'll live. Listen to some of the words. Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to put that up on the screens for you. This is Jeremiah writing. He says, how deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Verse 2. It says, bitterly she weeps at night, tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers there is no one to comfort her. Or her friends have betrayed her, they have become her enemies. He's talking about Israel, this nation. He's using poetic language. Look at verse 5. Look at what verse 5 says. Her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile captive before the foe. Look at verse 16. We're going to jump all the way to verse 16. It says, this is why I weep. My eyes overflow with tears. You ever felt that way before? Did you cry so much? You don't even know where the next tear is going to come from. My eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me. No one to restore my soul. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. Chapter 2, verse 11. Can we head there? I'm just kind of giving you a picture of what this whole scripture looks like. My eyes fail from weeping. I'm in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed because children and infants fate in the streets of the city. Now we're going to go to chapter 3, verse 17. I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. Verse 18. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. My dreams are crushed. I'm hopeless. Man, that's sadder than any country song. One of the most difficult things about being a pastor is watching people whose lives have been wrecked by sin. They're broken and desperate. I've seen marriages 
destroyed, bank accounts emptied out, sky high credit card debt, broken relationships with family and friends, all because of sin and failure. Sin moved them outside of God's blessing and protection, and now they're crushed by the consequences. Overwhelmed by grief and loss, they feel like there's no hope, and many times they just want to give up. Sadly, instead of us crying out for help at the first sign of sin, we continue falling deeper and deeper into a life of sin until we hit rock bottom. And there's a lesson in this. Why wait for rock bottom to happen? When you're going in the wrong direction, you have the opportunity to turn around. Don't keep going towards pain and destruction in your life. Sometimes I've met people whose lives are wrecked because they've been caught in the consequences of someone else's sin. That's always something sad to see. You need to recognize this. Your sin, your failure, your example doesn't just affect you. It affects those closest to you. Your spouse, your parents, your children, everyone around you is affected when you make choices that are not wise. There are other times, though, in our lives where there's circumstances beyond our control that lead to disastrous consequences. That's kind of where we are right now. You didn't go ahead and start the coronavirus. You can't stop it. And now here we are, all of us, dealing with its effects. Now that's where Jeremiah was, utterly devastated by the sins of the people, by the destruction of his country. For the people of Jerusalem, it seemed like it was too late. Their cities, their lives were in ruin. But then suddenly, Jeremiah's song takes a turn. What comes next are the most well-known verses in the book of Lamentation. In fact, most people know these verses. They haven't read the whole book because this is sad and frustrating and depressing to read through. But they've heard these verses before. Verse 19. You ready? I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. Verse 20. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. That's kind of a transition phrase. Jeremiah had summed up everything that he said so far. Life was hard. Life was difficult. It was discouraging. It was depressing. Jeremiah acknowledged that. I think there's, there's a... We do ourselves a great injustice when we don't have the opportunity to grieve because we're trying to be strong for everybody else. It's so important when you go through a loss, a loss of experience, a loss of a dream, a loss of a person, that you grieve. That's okay because what happens is is that grief ends up getting bottled up completely inside and then we end up taking it out in frustration on somebody who doesn't deserve it. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to cry. It's okay to tell the truth when you're hurting. And it's okay to remember those seasons of hurt and pain. Some of us are looking for God to magically erase painful moments that we went through. When I first began my ministry, I was rejected and deeply hurt by an experience. Every once in a great while, I decided to share that story. Last time that I shared that story, there was a lady who came up to me and said, you should never tell that story again. That's in the past. You should leave it there. That's not your story anymore. I looked at her and I said, of course it's my story and I don't want to forget it. I want to remember how it felt. 
I want to remember the emotions. I want to remember it all because the way I see it, we can do one of two things with my story. I can grip tightly and allow it to define and control me, or I can release that story to God and allow it to him to use it as a tool to minister to others. See, your story in God's hand is a tool. It's healing balm to people who need to hear about your story. God can use your pain to minister to others. Every time I tell my story, it is an opportunity for God to minister to people who feel lonely and rejected and like they don't fit in. So thank you very much for your opinion, but I'll never quit telling my story because my past reminds me how good my God is. For Jeremiah, his hurt, his pain was fresh. He said, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and my God. I'll remember that. My soul is downcast within me. But then the song turns and it hinges on, on one little word. That word, yet, it symbolizes, if, you're, if your uh, language arts teacher was here, she would say, he would say, that is the shifting word. And what comes next is one of my favorite promises that we're going to study this year. And don't get me wrong, I, I like them all, but this one is one that I feel like we need to remind ourselves of over and over again. And this promise is perfect for every situation that you're facing and particularly for the situation we're facing with this virus he says this in verse 21 and we'll head there he says yet this I call to mind yes everything is bad but yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope see if you remember a few verses ago Jeremiah said all hope was gone and now the song turns from depressing to encouraging, from hopeless to hopeful. For some of us, we can relate to this. Why can we relate to this? Because for some of us, our day starts out discouraging and ends up hopeful. This is the emotions that we go through in a 24-hour period. For some of us, this is the emotions that we go through in one hour. And for the best of us, sometimes this is the emotions that we turn to within one minute. We go from hopeless to hopeful, from hopeful to hopeless. Jeremiah had remembered something that restored his hope. A change in perspective resulted in a change in his attitude. And it gave him a new song to sing. And if you haven't read ahead already, here it is. The thing that changed his song. Verse 22, you ready? It says this, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. Verse 23, they are new Every morning, great is your faithfulness. Because of God's great love, you're not consumed. I've seen a lot of people proclaiming judgment out there, passing on these silly videos that I am so sick of seeing. These people that are saying the impending doom of America. Knock the crap. That's what I have to say to people. Knock it off. We're not living in the time of day. There will come a time for judgment when the king of glory will judge the earth for all that it has done and failed to do. But we are living in the age of grace and his mercies are new every morning and our God is going to be faithful through it all. Through it all. You're not cut off. You're not without hope. You have not come to your end. God has not decided to run out on you. He has an unlimited supply of love. Even when you're experiencing the consequences of sin and judgment, God never quits on you. He says, for his compassions never fail. 
His compassions never fail. The word used here signifies, it means this, that compassion that goes that second mile, that compassion that is ready to forgive, that compassion that replaces judgment for grace. Y'all need to stop it. The world need to stop it. You treat God like if he's a schizophrenic that changes his mind at one point and changes his mind at another point and changes his mind at another point and decides that he's going to deal with the human race in a whole other different set of directions. God's is one God, one character only. He is faithful. He is a compassionate God. Though Israel sinned, Against God through idolatry, immorality, adultery, and rebellion, the Lord started over again with his people. Some of you guys think, well, God is different in the Old Testament than he does in the New Testament. No. God's character is the same. So what's, Pastor Tom, why do you say what you say about these people that are proclaiming the impending doom of here and here and judgment here and here? Well, the reason that I say that is because God's character has remained the same. God was determined to bless and heal and restore every time his people had veered away from him. What's different between God in the Old and the New Testament? Jesus. The covenant of grace with the world and with believers. Let me just share this with you because I want you to understand. Human history does its things. Nations come and nations go. But you need to know That if God said to Abraham, y'all remember when God is fighting with Abraham, Abraham is fighting with God, right? He says, if if there's just be 10 righteous people in that city, would you destroy it? If there's this in the city, would you destroy it? Let me just tell you here, in the United States of America, there's much more than 10 righteous people. There's much more than 10,000 righteous people in the United States. There are people who are sinners. We're messed up. We're broken. We're not perfect, but we love Jesus, and Jesus makes us good. His grace covers us. So if his people, who are called by his name, will humble themselves and turn to God, he will hear from heaven, and he He will heal our land. That is the grace of God. It's not these messed up people that are getting on Facebook and YouTube and recording all these messages that are trying to scare people away. That's not the God I serve. I've seen that happen in churches time and time again. Emotion overcomes us. It doesn't take a genius to look at society, open a newspaper, turn on the news, and see that we are broken here in America. That does not place us beyond hope because we are a nation that has put our foundations and trust in Christ. God's determined to bless. He's determined to restore. He's determined to heal. That is the character of the Father. The road back may be long and difficult, but it is possible to begin again. Not because of your goodness, but because of God's goodness. His compassion never fails. In fact, they're, they're new every morning. Now, now, let me just explain to you what, uh, for a second what, what new does not mean in this verse. New means it, doesn't, it hasn't existed before. That's not what it means. Instead, it's a fresh renewal of something we've already experienced. Practically, it looks like this. When you wake up on Monday morning, God's compassion is fresh. It's new for the day. Regardless of what happened on Monday, his compassion is renewed for Tuesday. On Wednesday, God doesn't hold you to account how you failed him on Tuesday. His mercies are new. His compassion never fails. And I could go through the whole week, but here's the deal. This is the promise that applies 
only to those who've received Jesus as Savior. Why? Because if I have not received Jesus as Savior, my debt, my sin is accumulating in front of the eyes of God. What makes his mercies new every morning? The fact that Jesus went to the cross for me. I received him as my own and my debt, my sin is canceled out by the goodness of Christ. So God's never ending love has always forgiven me despite my failure. So when I wake up on Thursday, I'm forgiven. When I wake up on Tuesday, I'm forgiven. I messed up on Friday. I'm forgiven on Saturday. I'm good. That's what it means. His compassions are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. If I were to sum up this promise in four words, I would say this. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. My response, I've learned this, and this is hard. It's not easy, man. This is not anything easy to do, but I've learned that when things go bad, I need to declare it. The Lord is faithful. It, when I am celebrating something that's, that's gone good in my life, I need to say, the Lord is faithful. In times of fear and uncertainty, I need to declare, the Lord is faithful. When I don't understand what's going on in my life, I need to declare, the Lord is faithful. Even in the face of this virus, the Lord is faithful. It is not a theory. It is a fact. It is a promise that we can stand on. It is our source of hope. The Lord is faithful. There is nothing that you can do to mess it up, turn it around, or make God unfaithful in your life. Circumstances do not change the faithfulness of God. No political or financial crisis changes the faithfulness of God. Failure is not final because the Lord is faithful. The dark clouds surrounding you won't be there forever because the Lord is faithful. Whether there's a penny in the bank or there's a lot in the bank, the Lord is faithful. When your life song is sad, the Lord is faithful. Even in a pandemic, when everyone around you is panicking, you can rest that the Lord is faithful. What did that mean? It means he's totally reliable. He's completely dependable. He is a promise-keeping, faithful God. Even death doesn't change it. One day we'll stand before God. And on that day we won't be asking questions or, or arguing. We'll be captivated by the beauty of Jesus. We'll look at him face to face and say, Lord, you are faithful. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says to those who present themselves before Jesus on that day, to those who are washed and covered in the blood of the Lamb, he'll say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. You're faithful because God is faithful. Man, if that don't want to make you want to rise up and shout out to God, I don't know what will. We serve a faithful God. In fact, what I want you to do, can you stand up for me? Stand up and shout. I don't know what's going to happen in my life. I don't know what direction my life is going to take, but I know this. God is faithful. Even with increasing bills and decreasing pay, God is even with an uncertain and an unclear future, we can say the Lord is faithful. And in the middle of coronavirus, we declare the Lord is faithful. We serve a faithful God. I want to encourage you as our team comes forward. 
make a Facebook, make an Instagram post with these four words. The Lord is faithful. Declare it to every one of your friends. Be creative. Be original. Sing it. Shout it. Write it down. Draw it. Paint it on a chocolate chip cookie and tag the church in it. Let's change the conversation on social media. I'm tired of hearing about coronavirus. I'm tired of hearing about the vision. I'm ready to hear some good news. In this time of uncertainty, make your declaration clear. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. And you need to understand this. While, while I speak about these matters that I see people going on, and that's my job as a pastor, to call out. The pastor helps the prophet out. The prophet helps the pastor out. So when I see people showing up with these prophetic words of impending doom, I have to just step up and say, this is not consistent with the character of God and the word of God. I've seen this hit time and time again, man. I've seen people make gimmicks out of these things. I've just seen too many people just, just gather an audience to themselves and scare the daylights out of people for no reason. Y'all remember Y2K? When everybody thought the world was going to end? You had a bunch of kooks going out there, prophets saying the world is going to end. Everything is going to be over. This and that. Come on, man. We've been through enough of this to know we're grounded on the word of God. And even if things fail, and even if tragedy strikes, He's still faithful. He ain't going to abandon you. He ain't going to leave you. You don't need to pack up with your end times war locker. Come on. Your little end times bunker. God is faithful. And he's calling us to faithfulness too. So I want to encourage you today. Let's worship the king. I'm going to come right back up and we're going to pray together. God is faithful.